Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to Let Me Tell You Something's spin-off series, one of many, Match of the Week. As you can tell from hearing my voice, it's one of my picks, myself being Simon Cross, and with me is my Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen. And is there any greater word to the human soul than spin-off, Simon? <laughs> it's somewhat... I, I know it's not a spin-off, but I've just got in my head... Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack Horseman. Mm. Is this a crossover episode? You don't have to say it every time, you lovable bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for people who listen to all of our threads and all of our strands... And follow us on threads? Oh, no, we're not on that yet. We're not on threads yet. Still can't work out if it's any good. (laughs) But that's, that's by the by. People who have listened to Silver Screen Vision will have seen, and if they watch the uh, the things that we're covering on Silver Screen Vision, they will have seen clips of this match already. And it's a match that takes place on the 15th of July 2018. It's a dark match, so this wasn't televised on their show, but it is a taping of Championship Wrestling of Hollywood. And it's uh, two people... have cult status but different cult status in the modern wrestling world it's rj city taking on david arquette so it was your choice but i mean this is one of the ones where i think i might have shared it first but you were happy to make it your choice yeah for an episode when i saw that this was on youtube it looks like it was designed to be put on youtube or as you say it was recorded as a duck and if it was just a complete shit show then everyone could move on and no one's the wiser Mm. But it's, as you say, the first match of David Arquette's comeback. Now, in the documentary that we saw, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which was the first episode of Silver Screen Visions as well. In the story that the documentary provided us, again, like the Gayer Girls documentary, there's a sense of there's actually a narrative being forced upon an audience that they don't, it's not necessarily fully non fictional. He gets the shit beaten out of him at clearly like a backyard wrestling show. Yeah. People saying he has to show respect to the business that they themselves are not a part of. <laughs> Again, I wonder how much of that was just constructed for the sake of the documentary and the narrative that they were trying to create. Yeah. But, yeah, this is the first proper appearance of David Arquette in ring. We were just looking at the cage match. Other than his WCW run and an appearance on an episode of Raw in 2010 where he is in a handicap match with Alex Riley against Randy Orton. Something which myself and Lorcan had zero recollection of. We tried to ignore a lot of that 2010 (laughs) period of WWE. That was all that was leading to CM Punk dropping the pipe bomb. So you need to understand just how bad things were in a lot of cases for that to be a necessity and to ring so greatly with the audience out there. And of course, as we've said, the ripple effects we're feeling to this day. Indeed. And I think, really, we should have picked this as like the next match of the week after the documentary. And we should have at least gone back and rewatched the clip. Because I do remember that being a very good edit job of showing the thought process before going out and mapping out the match and then seeing what the results were as they were talking it through. Mm. I remember seeing a similar sort of structured edit job done when there was something following the Young Bucks around. I don't know if it was an early being the elite or whatever. 
And it was when Ring of Honor and New Japan were doing their equivalents of the Forbidden Door shows. Mm. I think it was Worlds Collide, maybe that was what it was called, or was that the NXT stuff? But doesn't matter. And there's a bit where he is talking through, Matt Jackson is talking through semi-broken English with Tetsuya Naito about you do that, we come in, then we do this, that. It always amazes me how they can remember all this stuff. Mm. Before they go out. I, I assume it's again one of those things where RJ City is the one that's guiding it. And really, to be honest, the reason that I was looking forward to watching this match was more the... And the reason that I think it became something we wanted to talk about was not the David Arquette follow-up to the documentary. We felt like that was all kind of covered in that discussion. But to just see RJ City, the wrestler, that is not the RJ City figure that most people really know. Yeah. If they do know of RJ City. He's... Carved out quite a, a nice spot for himself as host of AEW, hasn't he? Mm. And they tried to branch him out beyond that more, and he seems to have like something bordering on a double act patter with Rene Paquette. Yeah. And as a backstage interviewer, but I don't recall him ever doing like a Tony Schiavone and interviewing someone in the ring or anything. Yeah, no. Or super reporter uh, Alex Marvez, who just turns up at people's houses or at golf courses. I thought you were going to talk about super reporter Gregory Helms, the (laughs) very well disguised alter ego of the hurricane back in the day. No, not quite. But I was always curious with RJ City as to why he hasn't made a bigger run of it as a wrestler. Was he always limited? Or maybe he was necessar- wasn't necessarily where he wanted to go. Hmm. I think it's pretty obvious that RJ City has a wider range of ambition that wrestling's not necessarily was always a part of. I think he's genuinely has had writing jobs in Hollywood. Okay. He does do stand-up comedy. I think he always did stand-up comedy, even when he was a wrestler. And also, maybe he was never someone that necessarily wanted to go to the lengths that you have to go to in order to become a big star, especially in the indie scene. Mm. Because the character of RJ City as a wrestler does not seem to be that far off the RJ City that we get (laughs) in AEW in many ways, at least in the version that we've got here. Here it's a very heel act. But there is still, like, the pop culture references, the cutesy pie, snarky, bitchy almost, promo skills. Yeah. And also, it has to be said, RJ City, if he wanted to, I think could have made a good run of it because he's a very good-looking guy. He's clearly a good athlete. He's in decent shape. And it was hard for me to gauge, but he looks like he's a tall fella as well. Mm. I think it's one of those mistakes that... Well, not mistakes, but it's like... I think it was very funny when I saw actually RJ City interviewing all of the referees of AEW for an AEW episode. Yeah. And you just appreciate, oh, they pretty much every referee is either a short ass or of average height at most. Yeah. I think the only tall referee that AEW employs is Rick Knox. Yeah. And every referee I think WWE has hired, nearly all of them have been sub six foot. Preferably mm. sub five foot nine, if at all possible. Yeah. Nick Patrick was over six foot tall. Scott Armstrong was quite tall, but he's ex wrestler. So is Nick Patrick. That's the funny thing. The ex wrestlers. I mean, a lot of them are ex wrestlers, but a lot of them become referees because they know that they're not going to get the gig mm. because of things like their limitations on the height department, such as Drake Wirtz when he signed up for WWE and then went mental. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. So I think that the referee in this match was quite tall as well. 
especially as far as referees go. So I couldn't quite gauge how tall RJ City was, but he had the he has the slim frame, the legs it seemed that suggested he was tall. But until he sort of became more prominent as Chancellor of the Exchequer, I'd only ever seen photos of Rishi Sunak in isolation. <laughs> and he similarly has quite a slender lean frame that to me suggested quite a lanky tall person yeah and again it was only until i saw him standing in like holding out the the case that chancellors have it It looked like it might have been too heavy for him to lift have you seen him against uh stood next to the, the tallest mp in parliament yes i think well they also did ones because he had quite a tall mp in his team for the chancellor so when they did another photo later on they were all standing at various points on the stairwell inside of downing street yeah so sunak was at the top he takes a picture he's five six uh yeah. sunak and the tallest mp currently sitting is six foot nine dan kowinski <laughs> and i'm looking at the picture now it's basically like take your kid to work <laughs> it was like the giant and kevin sullivan yeah. to get it back to wrestling <laughs> one of the things that's obvious about rj city is he's a guy that can think on his feet so again it's one of those things where i'm looking at it and i'm going i don't know i just think that there was a place for him in the wwe that could have worked as well oh yeah like I said, he's, he was tall he looks like he's over six foot tall genuinely a good looking guy can move can wrestle Gets the show entertainment aspect of it. I know that he's got like a story of like, he did do a, an audition, you know, he did do one of those auditions or whatever it is that you call it mm. at the Performance Centre or whatever, and something bad went. I remember him telling it on an episode of the New Days podcast. But again, I think that maybe RJ City wasn't necessarily always a, like a, a wrestling lifer. Yeah. That if he could find avenues elsewhere, he would pursue them and wrestling became fun. Yeah. And again, I do wonder like, is there. Like the archness and the detachment and the irony of his act is such that maybe even that would be too much, even for AEW to work in a regular position. Mm. But within the YouTube element of it, it fits perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I find him very entertaining, like both in this and in AEW. I think he could do a fun, like, if AEW ever got forced to make another hour of TV, I would personally love them to go down more like a a magazine TV show route. Mm. And I do, and it's not like they're not open to these ideas of going a bit more old school. I love that Collisions open like a 1993-1994 episode of Monday Night Raw, where the people in the big matches cut these short two-camera promos. I love that, and I want more of that. So them doing, uh, like, Rene Paquette and RJ City hosting an AEW equivalent of that period in primetime wrestling where it was Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan in a studio in Titan Towers bringing in wrestlers and having them do little shows or also like Tuesday Night Titans. Like Talking Smack, to give it like a more modern example, in a way. Yeah, but not just them being stuck in one room on a panel, but actually being able to go out and about and have like an audience there to interact with. Okay. I think could be a really fun... And again, like RJ City... His humour in front of an audience could be a lot of fun as well. And again, just bringing out these different aspects of wrestlers' personalities yeah, could work perfectly. And then we get to the other participant in this match. And I'm trying to figure out why he picked the gimmick he did. Well, why did he pick a gimmick? You are David Arquette. That is your gimmick. Yeah. But even the, the gimmick itself is mixed up, isn't it? Do you want to explain what you perceived it to be? 
I perceived it to be like a white knight version of the main character in Ready to Rumble. Because I think he does hit the guy's finisher. He tries to crown RJ City at one point. Well, he also does the diamond cutter. Yeah. But what was confusing was he was King David Arquette. Yes. And he came out, like a traditional sort of Randy Savage cape slash robe thing. Yeah. And then he threw streamers from his fingers because, again, he like he loves magic as well. Yeah. But it was like, what's that got to do with being a king? What's the name of the mustache camp guy who, at the end of every Jackass film, get throwing oh. the confetti everywhere? I want to say Rip Taylor. I think it is wanna... Rip. It, yeah. It's Rip something. Yeah. Well, you're thinking of the actor Rip Torn, which was making me think he might not be called Rip Taylor. No. But I remember the first time I was aware of Rip Taylor was uh, he appears in Wayne's World 2. That's him. Yeah, David Arquette, he has the streamers coming out of his fingers, but then he goes into the ring and he stands on like a Roman plinth and does like a pose as if he's David, but also in like those late 19th century, early 20th century strongman poses where he's got like a little belt as well. Sort of like a 1910s version of the weightlifting belt, which then he proceeds to get whipped with by RJ City. Yeah. So it's like, it's a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat, and you are David Arquette. You don't need a hat. You are your own metaphorical hat. Now, a little peek behind the curtain here. When I watched this match to take notes for it, I sent Lorcan a message which he didn't really... He would, he's, he's still waiting for me to explain, so he's hearing this for the first time now, of RJ City is Alex Ferguson. I, I feel like I should put together a compilation of your more outrageous analogies on this podcast. It was not, it's not a deep analogy, it's a throwaway line. Your frequent line. references to Dunstan checks in as one example. <laughs> That took such a good film. RJ would have been great if Dunson checks in. Anywho. (laughs) I've got that on the brain now. The reason I said RJ City is Alex Ferguson is because what does he do straight away? He knocks David Arquette off his fucking perch. Well, that's taking... That's not a personality aspect, which is where I was trying to get you from. Nah. Like, that's just literalizing. It's just a gag, ultimately. Yeah. But, I did, like, they even say on commentary, he has literally knocked David Arquette yeah, off, off his, his perch. perch. In commentary including Pretty Peter Avalon as well. Who was David Arquette's coach. Yeah. The commentators are quite fun as well. They're, they're taking, like, a fun vibe with it. Uh, it's a free man booth, so... Yeah. Again, maybe there was that ease with it being a dark match. So, again, it was like, we're not sure if this is going to... It's like when Taz and Excalibur got to do dark. Like, you can muck around now, go on. Or C- or CM Punk and Eddie Kingston during the Samoa Joe Necro Butcher match. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I think because this is such a low-status match, it's such a, you know, a nothing burger of a match, it, the ease of it is more tolerable. Yeah, because it, yeah, it has no meaning. It's just fun. Like, you, can, you can muck around with it. It is bring a toy to school day basically i think it also helps that obviously david arquette has a love for wrestling and you assume has a humility that he's basically taking the direction of rj city yeah and rj city maps this out fairly simply keeps it working and realistic within the dynamic of along the lines of other celebrities getting involved in matches that the when they're a baby face and it's a heel where the heel underestimates their wherewithal yeah and just beats them up to begin with, utterly overwhelms them, but then just through their own hubris, gives them a little opening. They take advantage of it, and then they surprise the 
healed, not just with what they can do with like moves like the diamond cutter, which make logical sense, the idea of the move that he was taught from his friend back in the day. Yeah. And also, as you say, him trying to do someone else's move. What was it again, sorry? Uh, the king from Ready to Rumble. He, he does hit the crown. He will... So referencing his own wrestling knowledge and experience, and you assume yeah. the training that he got for that... But then surprising him by going even further, you know, RJ City goes to the outside thinking he can take a breather and then Arquette, because you don't expect a celebrity to do something like that, diving onto him from the yeah. out, to the outside. That's the crown hit. So he hits his finisher, but he hits it on the outside. So that gives RJ logical reason to not be defeated by it. He does get a visual fall over RJ because uh, he makes him tap to the sharpshooter, but RJ's blinded the referee. So it, and that's why RJ's tapped also. It's not because he's in pain and needs to get out. He just knows that this is a way of getting out. And it's something that should be played up more, actually. Someone tactically tapping out. Yeah. Because of the advantage they've given them. So that they know that that means Arquette will have to release the hole so they don't have to try and reverse it. But they also don't suffer the consequences of it because the referee hasn't witnessed the tap out themselves. It's sort of along that same line of logic as the hitting the chair on the mat. So the referee hears it and then fall into the ground, which they also do in this match. Yeah. And I, I love the reversal of it as well. It's like, no, I'm just going to lie down as well. And there we are. <laughs> and I said this at the time when we did the You Cannot Kill David Arquette film review. The Arquette actually, because he's he is a good actor, you don't get the jobs that he got and still sometimes continues to get if you don't have the, the acting chops. Yeah. When he is selling, he knows how to do it. He knows how to have the bug-eyed reaction when he gets whipped with the belts. Yeah. And again, because he's got no, he's not trying to show off any toughness outside of just his willingness to continue on in the match. And he can convey fear and he can convey suddenly finding an opening that he didn't even expect and surprising even himself with how good he's doing. Mm. It's like that great bit in The Mask when Jim Carrey gets into a fight with the mob boss and at one point he's on top of him and he's actually raining punches down on him. Yeah. That surprises even him because then when he runs out of breath and stops, he goes, I'm winning. (laughs) Like Freddie Prinze Jr. Again, not a guy with the highest perceived qualities as an actor, but he does have the chops. Yeah. Especially when you see like actual bad acting. I remember I've told you that one of my PE teachers is now a pop star. (laughs) <laughs> you have i don't think you've told the listeners but you've told me okay if i haven't said this on the show if you're not aware of the northern boys look up the northern boys if you are aware of the northern boys one of the northern boys was my pe teacher at school <laughs> and so try and his... guess which one and send and drop us a message that'd be interesting yeah. his sudden rise to fame in at least his 70s and knowing the man that i knew as well has made it a very surreal couple of years for me. (laughs) Well, not I don't know if it's a couple of years, but it's been long enough. My God, has it been long enough. (laughs) The crazy thing is, he wasn't even the only PE teacher that had these artistic aspirations. Another PE teacher, and he was the guy I actually liked, and he was my form tutor in my first year at secondary school, and then became the head of our year afterwards. He got promoted, so he stopped being our form tutor but was still in charge of our year. He retired and has also tried to get into acting, and he has an IMDb page. Oh, okay. There's loads of shorts. Wait, is that his outfit or his film catalogue? Well, yeah, it is his film catalogue. Actually, I will quickly go back and say my Northern Boys, because he's pro- projecting himself as, like, not woke, but, like, a very modern man. 
and just knowing the sadist that he was, like all those sort of PE teachers are to some extent. One time I turned up to PE and I'd accidentally packed my younger brother's PE shorts instead of my PE shorts. Now, how big of an age difference is there? Four years. So there was restriction, okay? I put them on and then I realised and I said to him what had happened. And he made me walk up and down the changing room like it was a catwalk in the lab. (laughs) With those shorts on. (laughs) Oh my god. That's just one of several stories I have about this. Okay? So... You say stand-up material, I say therapy content. You do you, honey <laughs> those, boo. those are kind of the same thing. The There's a lot of overlap on the Venn yeah, diagram. There is, to uh, knock that off your, your bingo cards. <laughs> and now I'm trying to trace back why this story came into effect. And also, yeah, I'm trying to think so, of when you went to school, and I'm wondering if Wright said Fred's I'm Too Sexy had got to come out by then, because that's that the backing track school. I've got in my yeah, head. Yeah, that wasn't in secondary school, no. Yeah. And so, at uh, high school for our American listeners... Although that might have been middle school years, to be fair. But anyway, this other teacher is also trying to make it as an actor in his 70s or whatever. And he does have as one of his to-be-made writing credits. And he does have a writing credit, an adaptation of the novel that I've never heard of, Grey Justice. So if that ever comes out, that's something to look forward to. An adaptation of Grey Justice, you say? But we found a short film that he did. I remember we were we were coming back from a holiday and we just stopped in the McDonald's. And we were just in the car after we'd ordered our McDonald's. And for, like, dinner theatre entertainment, I'd found that short film and put it up. And it was just, the quality of acting was so bad that my, my friend said it makes you appreciate what even the perceived bad actors, how good they actually are. You know, people who get onto... Hollyoaks or Coronation Street or whatever that sometimes get mocked for their acting. It's like that's a level above even this. So what I'm saying is that David Arquette has qualities as an actor, even if his his peak was the Scream franchise and Ready to Rumble. It's a caliber of acting that you don't appreciate the quality of that until you see either against that or like let's put it this way, some of the acting that you get on WWE Raw. Mm. and Smackdown you know I always remember whenever a friend of mine would see like the old Divas footage the backstage stuff it's basically softcore porn like have you ever watched scenes where Tori Wilson and Stacey or Dawn Maria like at, at its peak it's bad soap opera bad daytime soap opera I had a period of watching a random year of WWE pay-per-views just to see like what the product looked like I think I had it all as background stuff whilst working from home and there's one, it was the year that Ashley Mazzaro won the Divas Search. Yeah, we've told this story already. You yeah. With your, with your girlfriend. <laughs> the yeah. shower initiation. <laughs> yeah, right, that, that was Layla. A... So maybe that's different. Maybe they've done it more than once then. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't rule that out at all. <laughs> How have but we yeah. ended up here? <laughs> well, just to say that like the David, Ar- like David Arquette and RJ City are born performers entertainers. And so they're able to keep the crowd going. And the crowd are engaged, especially Arquette's wife. Although, to be fair, she doesn't seem that horrified at what's going on. She yeah. seems as amused at RJ City's insults as <laughs> she is. She pantos it, to be yeah. fair. So, and, uh, she, 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 she's, game, she's game to go along with it, which is, which is good. And Arquette has seemed to have formed a long-time friendship relationship with RJ City since then. As you've, I, I re-watched the Hey E.W., 
Yeah. And I think a lot of people were commenting on it, like, is David Arquette under some sort of substance? And I was like, no, I think that's kind of, A, his actual personality. He is an eccentric guy. Oh, yeah. But also, maybe he's going to be forever experiencing the residue of the stuff that he did take when he wasn't cleaned up. Mm. Assuming he is, I think he is clean and sober nowadays. I hope he is. But he's still just, he is still Arquette. And like I said at the time, Arquette was one of those Hollywood actors that did have that eccentric energy. Yeah. That means that maybe his opportunities are limited, but if you find the right niche for him, he can work within that. Like the most extreme example of that now being Nicolas Cage, but also, as I said, David Arquette, Matthew Lillard. And actually now there is a woman that fits into that description. Because I always said women actors never really get those opportunities. But I think that Aubrey Plaza is one of those actors now with an eccentric energy yeah. that kind of goes above the roles that she plays, but she can, she imbues it. And if you find the right avenue for it, it works brilliantly. Yeah. And David Arquette, again, he just has that energy that if you push it in the right direction and RJ City found the right way to package it. And I like that RJ City, and again, because the eccentric eccentricities of David Arquette and not really knowing what he's doing is how RJ City is able to outsmart him. And sometimes when heels outsmart Babyface, it kind of drives me crazy because it happens all the time. And there's always that rule that, like, when a wrestler who was a heel turns Babyface, their IQ somehow seems to drop 20 points immediately. Yeah. So I always like it when Babyfaces can have that intel. Again, probably one of the reasons why maybe my three favorite wrestlers ever are Bret Hart, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Mitsuhara Masawa. All yeah. guys that work as Babyfaces, but work as Babyfaces where there's clearly thought and intelligence they're not dumbasses yeah as wrestlers that they won't get like you never saw really i imagine they did it more during the heart foundation years but there was never really times where brett really badly would get distracted for ages on the apron by a manager or whatever it's what makes hangman such a great baby face because he he, he is i don't want to say stupid he is flawed but it, it's a it's emotional it's emotional naivety it's not intellectual naivety and I think that that's something that David Arquette projects both in in real life. And again, that's when they're doing that, it makes sense. When he's adding gimmicks and saying he's a king and standing on a plinth, it's just no, that's nothing to do with being David Arquette. Unless he was making like like he's a big boy Hollywood, like sort of like what Andy Kaufman did when he went to Memphis. Mm, it doesn't come across like that. I can't decide if it's these are all the gimmicks I wanted to do if I ever became a wrestler. Or the guy I was most associated with was ready to rumble when I, you know, did wrestling. I'll take bits from his gimmick and I'll do my version of those. But you should make it even more explicit then and just literally dress as that character. Yeah. But he doesn't. He wears all white, whereas that character was in black, probably to help body covering for good reason. <laughs> What's the name of the guy who's the king at the very start of Game of Thrones? Oh, Robert Baratheon. Hey, Robert! Oh, I, I knew that. I should have backed myself. He, he, Jimmy the King dresses like Robert Baratheon and has a Robert Baratheon-level physique as well. Uh, although it is funny. A friend of mine sent me a picture of... Because uh, I think he's watching the full Monty uh, Disney Plus series. Which I just think... I just feel like that will be inherently depressing whether the subject matter is or not. Mm. And he sh- sent me a picture of the guy that's the fat one of the group. And it's like, he wasn't that fat. But it was like... Now, <laughs> poor ba- poor bastard. It's yeah. like he will watch that back and go, "I wish I was that fat." <laughs> it's like when Jason Alexander he watched. I remember listening to him do the commentary to the first few seasons of Seinfeld, and he's like, "Ugh, 
to be that weight again. And he was casting <laughs> that role because he was perceived as being a bit pudgy. You know? <laughs> so always appreciate what you have. Appreciate what you have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have much more to say. Uh, the, the knee Arthur coming into play, and that's how he wins in the end. He sort of plays possum, tricks him yeah. into coming off the top rope. Lands he babe roofs it. He calls his shot, obviously, because yeah. the pre-match promo is like, I'm going to beat him with this move. Yeah. And he beats him with this move. I don't know if it's meant to play out that that is a loaded knee, like uh, yeah. Ted DiBiase's loaded glove, to refer back to last week. Yeah, it's just, it keeps it simple. It's not, it's not, you know, this is nothing, this isn't a hidden gem. Yeah. But it's a very well, you know, I think David Arquette fits this more than he did his subsequent death matches or anything else like that. That scene's a very, oh God, that where, where it's Luke and uh, Jack driving him to the hospital. That that's that bit in the car that's seared into my brain. Just how worried Luke Perry is. <laughs> yeah, just to make clarify because you just said Luke and Jack. You mean Luke Perry? <laughs> yeah, my mate's Luke and Jack. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Well, I was hoping you just kept going about Steve versus Vince. Was like, you mean Austin McMahon? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh... Well, it's down to you to do the right thing with the names and the outros now, I suppose. Simon, I don't have anything left to add to this. Do you? No, I, I just like how our flow of we've we've got off the beaten track, Kel surprise, uh, a little bit in this episode. I think us just having a creative hodgepodge and getting to reference Dunstan checks in sort of echoes what the vibe of this match was. It it was just a good bit of fun with a specific aim of having creating um, documentary footage for you cannot kill David Arquette. I will say also this, if any other part, piece of wrestling media were to reference Dunstan Checks In, my guess is it would be an episode of Hey EW. <laughs> so maybe that's another reason why we, we find an attachment to RJ City. And again, I just say, like, it's funny seeing those fundamentals. It's like that brief moment in the William Regal bit where William Regal bullies him into doing the the roll into the foot. You know that he famously has a go at that guy for on breaking ground, and yeah, RJ says he still got the role. Like Regal couldn't even hide that he was like, "Oh, yeah, that's actually pretty good." <laughs> yeah. So again, it's one of those things that, like, with the brain and the look and everything, maybe RJ City could have been a bigger star, but we'll probably never know. No, mm. maybe he's about to hit his peak. Well, he also seems very happy in the niche that he has in wrestling. Yeah. The no need to take bumps niche as well. That helps. It's like yeah. that great line he said in the Adam Cole Hey EW about how you know how you say your partner you start to take on different personality and attributes. Like for me, you can tell someone's going out with me when they stop wrestling. <laughs> and even, like Adam Cole was trying to. And it's funny seeing who he pops and who he doesn't and who he breaks. I watched some of the Minoru Suzuki clips. Yeah. And Minoru one, appreciates it. I wish someone had subtitled what Suzuki was saying. I think even if, it, you know, I think that would have helped like another level of yeah. amusement to it. I know that maybe the joke is meant to be like the, the lost in translation, but I do think that could have worked. Because if you do one joke over and over again, it's diminishing returns, isn't it? And I hope that we do get something other than the three-minute MJF episode that we got. That I think maybe the only reason he did that was after he saw the Sky Blue interview. He was like, well, I've got to follow up on this. <laughs> she set a person on fire. Tony Khan said, I can't do that. But again, it's one of those... Just some of them get it, some of them don't. Some of them try become tryhards and try to be as funny as him. Yeah. And some of them don't work. I think Chris Jericho had the right 
attitude towards it mm. that he didn't even try to do it in character whereas some like ruby riot tried to do like the straight person too much but she was sort of as we would say in improv she wasn't really accepting the offer yeah there was a lot of blocking in that playing way. a straight man's a hard thing to do because a lot of people think oh you just don't get the jokes and it's not quite that simple here's one for you before we go if they loaned him out to wwe for like four weeks he was allowed to go on to, to wwe headquarters maybe they put him in the performance center or whatever and he can do four weeks worth. He can get four currently signed WWE contracted talents to do an episode of Hey EW. Which four would you pick? <sighs> Just off the top of your head. Mm, do, can I count Big E? Well, I was going to say, I was going to cheat and have mine be the New Day. as like have that. All if we can have the New Day as one, I agree well, with you Well, they've entirely. had FTR. They've had... Then yes, the New Day. Claimed. I'd love to see a Don Mysterio episode. Would that be with Rhea Ripley? Would you have the whole or... Problem is, because those episodes were still going to be like 10 minutes. So yeah. that means you're limiting yourself to only two and a half minutes or so. Or three and a half minutes or so with, with certain guests. If you, if, the, more you, the more you allow in. Well, the New Day sort of function as one. In terms of the Dom, maybe I'd have Rhea with. But no, not Finn and Priest. Nothing against Finn and Priest, but I don't think putting all four of the Judgment Day into AEW works. Don't want to say Roman. A Sami Zayn AEW episode would fascinate me. Well, again, Zayn or Zayn and Owens or Owens. Owens would be perfect. Oh, if I had to pick one. Well, Owens would probably be the guy to host the WWE equivalent of AEW. Yeah. Because again, he's the one that sort of as close as come to broke through the narrative and seeing it from like like the Deadpool of sorts. And so you've got New Day. You've gone Dom and Rhea. Rhea, Rhea, Rhea. Dom and Rhea. I can't separate that. I know I've picked three pairs, but I'm going to have to pick Zayn and Owens together. I can't pick between Well, you've got to have a single choice now. I'm going to have to restrict it to just the one person. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to go Bailey. Okay. Yeah, Bailey could be fun. Because there's yeah. so much, there's, a, there's such a variety of things you could talk about. Yeah. So I can't repeat yours, so I'm going to do unique ones. First off, I'm actually, I'm going to go right at the top. You wouldn't get Vince, obviously. Though that would be amazing. But I could see Triple H doing it. Yeah. And Triple H has a very good dry sense of humour. So I think he would go along with it really well. So Triple H would be one of my picks. I think another pick would be Michael Cole. I think that could be a lot of fun. I like that. I like that. Again, you've got 20 years worth of material to work from there. Yeah. I think another one would be actually I would go with Becky Lynch because I think Beck I think Seth would try too hard to be funny himself, whereas I think Becky Lynch can ride with it more. Becky gets it. Yeah, well, it's like those great mix match challenge videos she did with Sami Zayn as well. Yeah. And the fourth one, I'm gonna go because sometimes you want to bring something out of someone you don't expect from, mm. so someone that you might see the potential in, like there. Sky Blue. Like Sky Blue. I wonder if Bron Breaker might be good for that, but then again, there's too much of a you know, look, there's too much of an elephant in a room at this point to oh, go. Oh, I there. see what you mean. I was gonna say, look, he said he has different opinions to his dad, but yeah, I know what you mean. I, I get what you mean by elephant in the room now. So, who would be my fourth pick? I've got one I can't get out of my head now, which I can't believe I didn't say. I wonder if you could get something fun out of Bobby Lashley, actually. Because Bobby Lashley clearly has some interesting ideas, like his whole... The weight gain storyline. ...putting on 50 pounds of fat to do it. So I wonder if there's something really interesting in there with Bobby Lashley. Or or maybe Seamus, or... uh... Seamus would be good for it. Actually, I'm going to go right out there. Yeah. 
I'm going to go with Butch, a.k.a. Pete Dunn, because he's so taciturn. Yeah. But I think maybe there's something. And also, I just wonder if he might try and do some local Birmingham jokes as well. <laughs> so Channels is in a Jasper Carrot. That's going to be a little out there one. Paul Heyman could have been a fast... But again, I think Paul Heyman would try to outwit him. Yeah. So I think that would the be... The Miz would be good. The Miz would be good. Yes, because he would also be willing to be the fool. Again, Dolph Ziggler would try too hard because Dolph Ziggler genuinely thinks he's really funny. Yeah. I think... Like, there's a time when Amy Schumer said she was dating this guy and, like, she need She was like, you know that I'm funnier than you, right? And he wasn't a comedian. <laughs> and I do wonder if Dolph Ziggler's the guy that she's talking about. Mm. Because it seems like something Dolph Ziggler would think. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you've got to back yourself, but there's a limit, isn't there? Mick Foley would also be brilliant. Oh, Mick, well, of course. Yeah. But then... I tell you, would also be good as well, like how Arn Anderson was surprisingly good. I think Bret Hart would be surprisingly good for mm. AEW. But anyway, I've, I've made my four. I'm lying. Them. We haven't got a, a Mount Rushmore, but we will have a Mount Rushmore for the next episode because we are going back to original recipe, let me tell you something. Oh, yeah. So what are we going to be talking about in the next episode of Let Me Tell You Something Original Recipe, Simon? (laughs) We're going to keep the home fires burning. We're going to talk about the UK, the UK wrestling fan. Not just the fan, but like the scene and what place the UK has in the wrestling firmament, I suppose, now in 2023, as we're just either coming to or coming out of, depending on when when we're recording this compared to when it's coming out the all-in show in front of at least 65,000 or more. We assume 70,000, probably. I think they've uh, got over 70,000 sold. I think maybe even 75,000. So that says something about this country that doesn't even have a full-time wrestling scene in and of itself. But it's also now maybe a potential future WrestleMania venue. (laughs) We'll have to wait and see. And we'll talk about that in the episode. (sighs) But until then, if people want to get in touch with me and tell me um, their top three WWE picks for a AEW-style episode, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I am so known as Simon Cross Free. I've I've sort of, like, put the horse ahead of the cart with doing my free joke this time round, but I'm I'm mixing it up. Why not? And uh, people can get in touch with Lorcan by... Well, you can get in touch with me by getting in touch with me via email at Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Arquette. N for Knee Arthur. Hey. <laughs> the second letter in Knee Arthur. Put at gmail.com at the end of it. That's my email address. And Lorcan Mullen is also my Twitter and Facebook handles and threads and Instagram and Letterboxd, wherever else you want to go. You can get in touch with the show itself at lmtyspod at gmail.com. And lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook Handles, and we're also on Patreon, LMTYS Pod. But there's nothing left for me to say except that my name's Simon Cross, and my name's Lorca Mullen. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week until the next week. <laughs>